Well, what's up, geeks? It's Mike here from Geek Media Core Podcast. I just want to reach out for a second and announce that the show is now part of the Geek Vibes Nation Network, and it's something we're very excited about. Nothing is going to change with the show. You'll just be able to find more from us over on gvnation.com. While I have you here, if we can request that you guys subscribe to the program, either on the Geek Media Core iTunes or Google Play channel, or at the one for Geek Vibes Nation, we would greatly appreciate it. If you could leave a star rating or a short review, that would be terrific too, as it helps others to find the show. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy this week's episode. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. The biggest prize of the 2019 Academy Awards, Best Picture, went to Green Book. Green Book also won the awards for Best Original Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor. And the Oscar goes to Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali is only the second black actor, after Denzel Washington, to win multiple acting Oscars. I want to thank Dr. Shirley for... uh, just trying to capture his essence. Olivia Coleman from The Favorite beat out Glenn Close for Best Actress. Glenn Close, I, you've been my idol for so long and this is not how I, I wanted it to be. Close has seven Oscar nominations and has yet to win. Other acting categories went as expected, with first-time winners Rami Malek and Regina King getting their moment in the spotlight. Malek won for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, while King was honored for If Bill Street Could Talk. Other award highlights included Spike Lee, who finally won his first Oscar, more than 30 years after Do the Right Thing came out. His film, Black Klansman, took home the award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Lee didn't end up winning Best Director. And the Oscar goes to, in this name I can't pronounce, Alfonso Cuaron. For the second time, Alfonso Cuaron received the honor. This time, it was for Roma, a black-and-white film based on his childhood in Mexico. The Oscars were hostless for the fifth time in its 91-year history, but the show went on. The buzziest moments of the night instead belonged to Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. They reunited to deliver a steamy performance of Shallow from their movie, A Star is Born. The duet won Best Original Song and became an instant meme. You're listening to Geek Media Core, your weekly podcast for all things geek pop culture. What's up, geeks? I am Mike, and this is issue number 109 of the Geek Media Core podcast, where today we are discussing which biopic wins the next Oscar. If Netflix just took a pretty much over the whole movie industry, and if Bioware is getting closer to their extinction event. But first, we say hello to the man that I'm taking me to Vegas because he called Oscar Gold for Rami Malik before even the first photo drop. What's up, Danny? I don't think it was the first photo. I think it was after the first trailer, seeing him move, and then you're like, yeah, no, this is Oscar. This is an Oscar. Best don't, be, don't be humble. Don't be humble. You called The it. photo is for Tom Hanks' 2020 Oscar winner. Well, guys, before we get going, I just want to announce that the show is now part of the Geek Vibes Nation Network. What that means is that nothing will be changing with the show. We're just going to have you know more content available on gvnation.com, and the podcast will be also be on their iTunes stream as well. If you already subscribed to the show, you don't need to adjust anything. It's not going anywhere. It's still going to be there. But I do highly recommend popping over to uh, Geek Vibes Nation and subscribing to their podcast series. Uh, they've got a whole handful ranging from uh, just geek news like us and just uh, to stuff like sports and wrestling. So, I mean, they do just about everything. 
Uh, I don't want to preempt uh, Jawan with the announcement. He's the guy who kind of runs things over there. But um, there's a lot of new shows that they've got coming on the horizon too. And I've even volunteered to appear on one of them with them, but I don't want to say what that is yet because uh, he hasn't actually announced it yet. So, so check them out guys, gvnation.com at geek vibes nation on Twitter and in iTunes, just search for geek vibes nation. With that said, it's likely that we have some first time listeners today. So instead of our usual, what did you do last week? Like we usually open the show with, we're going to do a kind of a soft reboot of sorts. And uh, that's going to just, we're going to just kind of tell everybody kind of what we're about, each one of us. Uh, I mean, I'll go first. So I don't give, you know, Danny, don't put Danny on the spot here and give him a second to think of what to say. Uh, obviously, I said I'm Mike. Uh, when I first brought the idea of this show up to Danny, it was about three years ago now. Wow. Uh, I was kind Remember of. Remember, we thought that this would last only like 10 episodes. Right. Out. Right. I thought for sure. Uh, if he does this past Civil War, I'll be impressed. Uh, but. Uh, uh, I was kind of tired of doing sports podcasting at the time. If you live in Houston, you understand why um, me and Danny would always talk about comic books and Buffy, the vampire slayer, stuff like that on Twitter. So I reached out to him, asked if he would be interested in the idea of this. He said, sure. Well, I, like we just said, never thought it would go this far, but here we are. I was kind of, a, I was always been a star Wars guy, you know, growing up, I was a big DC comics reader about the only thing I read more than justice league was Spider-Man. Uh, I'm a, Big time book reader, constant reader, Stephen King. I own everything Stephen King's ever put on a hardcover. And if you say anything negative about Frank Herbert's Dune, I'll fight you. Um, I got a ton of fandoms, really. And I mean, too many really to, that I'm going to list about. But, um, you know, you keep listening to the show, you'll, you'll, you'll find out what all those are. That's why we started this show, so we could talk about everything, not just, you know, one thing. And talk about some stuff for me. Danny, why don't you tell the new listeners, you know, that have maybe jumped on along the way also uh, what you're all about. I would say you said that uh, there will be nothing changing. I, I did make an offhand joke, but it's probably more serious than joke. This probably means that I will probably invest in a headphone and microphone and a little bit more legit than the current setup, um, which is a laptop and a cavernous room. It's okay, guys. For the first year and a half, you didn't have a camera. It was just me talking to a black screen. So this that's is still the, that's still my favorite moment. Is you not expecting the Black Panther review? Yeah, he surprised yeah. me with it. He, he just because he wanted uh, to do this. He just wanted to do the Wakanda. I just forever. wanted to do Wakanda forever. That's really all I wanted to do. Um, as far as me and like the geek thing, like like you said, we we met while we were blogging and we kind of got tired of that and then just kind of offshoot from there still stunned that this is going like I would have put money that this would have been over by 20 tops, especially after that second or third lost episode um, that we would have just been like, fuck it. Like this isn't working clearly. Uh, I've, I mean, I've been quote unquote a geek since I can remember. I mean, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't have a video game console. Uh, I can't remember a time where like, Batman or Superman wasn't an interest of mine. Uh, thankfully, like as I get older, like Buffy became a thing. Angel became a thing. Um, even recently, like it still grows and develops. You convinced me to give Harry, you were one of those that convinced me to give Harry Potter a try. You were stunned that I was like into Star Trek now. And um, it's only grown and flourished as I've gotten older. And I, I've realized, yeah, sci-fi and comics and all that stuff. That's what I love. Uh, nothing will ever top uh, Jeff Johns and his uh, Green Lantern or Flash runs. I will, I will stand for Jeff Johns forever because he made the Green Lantern my favorite character, uh, which is still saying something because I was the little boy who would run around with a Batman cape and um, just pretend I was Batman. And even as adult, like switch into the Christian Bell Batman voice, which I'm not going to do because my throat can't handle it right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I've I've loved it. I, I'm open to trying new things. I think the last 
two geek horizons that you really have to get me to push into would be uh, Doctor Who, which I'm like kind of soft given a chance on with the, the, the Whitaker stuff uh, here and there. And then uh, I've still never read or seen any of the Lord of the Rings stuff. And that just goes over my head. It'll happen, guys. He didn't do Harry Potter and he didn't do Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones I've been in a month. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and, you know, kind of Geek Lantern or Green Lantern Corps is kind of, you know, our, our bonding moment because that was when you, you recommended that to me. And I burned through that Jeff Johns run. In fact, and I wasn't a Green Lantern fan before that, but no, like so much. that's where I came up with the idea of the show was uh, Geek Media Corps out of the Green Lantern Corps. So, I mean, that was, yeah, that's always going to be a big one for us. And that's why we have to bring up the Green Lantern movie every chance that we get and how mad Danny is about it. The Green Lantern movie comes up a lot. James Bond will come up a lot. And we always talk about the James Bond retrospective. Um, which will one day happen if Bond 25 ever gets a real release date. Yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, doing a loss for us, respect. we talk about loss, that always comes up a lot too, but uh, you, you guys will see. Um, now, since we did not have an Oscar sh- uh, preview show, because neither one of us were excited about it, we're going to be talking about the results probably for the bulk of the show today, because in my opinion, some some unexpected stuff happened uh, in a good way, and I think it's uh, some things that definitely need to be touched on. Before we start, just a... Uh, couple of no quick notes. Bohemian Rhapsody was the big winner for Oscars. Uh, Roma, Green Book, and Black Panther all took three. Uh, five of the last six best directors have been of Mexican heritage. And 15 movie different movies won an award. I don't remember the last time anything like that happened. So that's, that, that's kind of crazy. Uh, we can get into some of the particulars here, but uh, two of those have been uh, Alfonso Coron. Two of them have been the guy whose name I can't pronounce that did uh, Birdman and uh, Revenant, can you, can you pronounce his name? Oh, Inaratu. Yes, thank you. And then, of course, uh, Guillermo del Toro. I want to say friend of the show because I feel like he's a friend of the show because I'm a big horror guy and Guillermo del Toro, del Toro yeah. on, on, on horror. So, hey, I think I, I don't know how coincidental that is, but uh, that's that's awesome. Keep doing it, guys. And I think I heard a rumor. I don't, I don't want to say a rumor, but I, I read on Twitter, I think, that they actually knew each other when they were kids. Like they grew up in the same area. That's insane if so. I don't know if like I don't know if that's true. I think I, I haven't. I've heard that. I know that they're all really good friends now, and it makes sense. They're peers. They're from same country in the same industry. Like it would make sense that they would lean on each other for support. But um, no, I think it's definitely a, a cool little. I don't. I think it is kind of a coincidence that five of the last six have been from the same country, and it's definitely a. It's definitely cool to see. It's de- like for me personally, obviously, if you're. Uh, if you're watching the video of it, like it's, I, I obviously I love it and I, I've thrown out half-heartedly, but now I'm like really starting to like really get behind the idea of Alfonso Cuarón as being the director for uh, the DC's uh, take on Blue Beetle since it'll be Jaime Reyes. Man, don't get me excited. We'll talk more about Cuarón in a minute. Um, be perfect. The big one, and guys, we don't we don't do politics too much on the show, but it's probably going to come up a little bit in this episode. So uh, don't don't use this as like a barometer for what we do because we really we really don't. But it's going to kind of be unavoidable because of some of the controversy I got going around. And I mean, the, the the first topic here, I know that me and Danny disagree already, and it's fine. That's fine. We we, we preach that it's okay to disagree. We've got ten years different in age. We were raised very differently, uh, but you know what? We can discuss these things. And uh, I'll start off by saying. I love Green Book. I thought Green Book was a good movie. I understand why people are upset about it. The problem that I have with it is a lot of the people that are upset about it haven't even seen the movie. That's when I'm like, all right, well, I mean, 
I am still one of those who watches movies to be entertained. Uh, I have my political opinions and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't go into movies looking for a political message. I don't go into a movie looking for 100% accurate portrayal of true events because Green Book says based on a true story. I've actually mm-hmm. done research now after I saw the movie and enjoyed it so much to see what uh, the family members were so upset about. And I get it. I do. I get it. If this was a documentary, I'd be a little more upset about it, about it winning this, but as is of the movies listed, I felt like it was the best one. Sorry, Black Panther. <laughs> so, uh, Danny, I know you were not quite thrilled about it, and that's fine. Tell us why. I, I'm of the mindset like I haven't seen it. No, I'll, I'll be honest with that. I, as a movie, I, I can't judge it, and I thought I would see it because I love Mahershala Ali. Uh, I'm a, a big Mahershala Ali fan. I, I love that he's getting all these opportunities. I'll talk. I'll touch more on that in a bit, but. I think for me, the biggest issue with the, with the entire film is that I I didn't want to see it once I knew that Dr. Shirley's family, um, Dr. Shirley's family just wasn't behind it. And for me, it became really hard to divorce that idea is that the man's family just didn't like it, felt that it bastardized Dr. Shirley and who he was. And at, at that point, it became really hard for me to, to divorce it. Uh, I The friend that I was watching the Oscars with uh, on Sunday felt the same way. Like she couldn't bring herself to, to watch it. Cause she's like, it just, it doesn't feel right to me. And, you know, I think for, for me, I don't know that I'll ever get over that to watch the movie. Now, the other side of it is if you change the names and you just tell a story about a black singer and a white uh, security guard going through the South, like it's just a movie. And so it needs the historical ties to be somewhat relevant beyond the, the story of a, a movie. Uh, you know, as far as like anything in the movie, as far as the controversy, all that angles, like I can't really speak to it. I'm not going to even pretend to to be knowledgeable about it. Watching the acceptance speech, uh, as soon as they get on stage and you see like, cool, aside from Mahershala Ali and Octavia Spencer, and I think one other person, it's a white majority talking about how this movie healed, like, like, is their take on race and how it's going to heal like racism or whatever roll your eyes moment. But the, when the first person they thanked was Vigo Mortensen, I was like, cool. Like, I don't need to watch any more. <laughs> I was like, this, like, this is as tone deaf as you can get. Um, and then of course I read one of their interviews from backstage where they're like, anytime the controversy would seep in, we would just sit down and watch whatever version of the movie that was there. And we would feel good about it again. And it's just like, you guys like, just stop patting yourself on the back. Like that's a big reason why people, are like getting more angry about it is just because they don't acknowledge the family. Like in that entire speech on stage, they didn't acknowledge the Shirley family. Yeah. That's, that's unacceptable for sure. And I mean, just, I, it felt gross. It, it felt I mean, like, Ali did in his speech. He did. Yes, he, he, did. He, he did. So, I mean, he, yeah, that's unacceptable. So he gets it. The people behind it don't. And it kind of felt like they were being like flippant and biting their thumb at it. And, you know, I, I can understand why their react, why their attitude caused that reaction. I can understand their attitude too because they had to they've had to endure this for four, five, six months, and instead of addressing it up front like they should have, and they should have been like, you know what, we didn't, and you know what, we apologize to the Shirley family, um, but we're just looking to make a movie. And if they had said that, that might have probably curbed tell about seventy percent of this, but they didn't, and I think that. You know, this isn't going to be the last time that a movie like this comes out. And hopefully the people that are behind that movie learn from this and learn that, you know what, if 
you get to this point where you make a movie and the family of someone involved just doesn't appreciate, acknowledge it up front and don't try to brush it aside and definitely don't stand on stage and not thank the man's family or acknowledge the man in any way, shape or form. I do understand that I've said that uh, I still watch these movies to be entertained. So I want to bring up that I also watched Black Klansman, which was kind of a polar opposite, I'd say, <laughs> about as polar mm-hmm. opposite as you could be. And I mean, I enjoyed that as well. So, I mean, I know this is a very, very sensitive topic and understandably so. Um, I just I wonder if is 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 there any room in the current political climate for a black, white, buddy film? anymore i mean could we have white men can't jump today could we have you know stir crazy i'm really going way back here could we have driving miss daisy today you know i mean could we have i mean a lot of people say this is driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> I, I can see why they think that but i mean I, it really wasn't but uh I, I, I did laugh when Spike Lee said it yeah yeah I, I got that i got that but i mean is there room for stuff like that today does it, everything have to be about this is why we're so divided i mean can we not have anything positive anymore i think you could and i think if you do, you have to have you have to have equal representation of all sides around. I don't think you can have like like I said with Greenberg. I don't think you can make this movie and ninety five percent of the people on stage accepting that award are white. Like then it just seems disingenuous. Then it seems one sided. I think if you had white white screenwriter, black screenwriter, or like white producer, black director, it's white. Like if you had equal representation, I think you could tell a more authentic story of like cool, like this is the buddy, this is how the buddy system works here, or this is how, you know, we can make fun of each other and it goes both ways and learn to understand each other better. But you need both parties to have a dialogue. You can't just make it a one-sided dialogue. Okay, I get it. Uh, I'm just I'm just saying that I, I, I hope this, if this is the reaction it's going to be, I don't want the Hal Jordan, John Stewart, buddy cop and space movie. I don't want it. I do because their relationship doesn't revolve around that. Like they're both aliens in, in space. They're both aliens. They're both different in space. And like, the entire conversation in space is understanding all the different species, races, whatever you want to call it, however you, you classify them. And it becomes bigger than that. Um, that's kind of why I like the space stuff, like a Star Trek, like a, like a, a Star Wars is that cool. Like, it's all about the planet itself and like understanding like, cool, there are many thousands of different, different lives, different lifestyles, organisms, stuff like that. We just have to find a way to coexist. That's what's great about the expanse guys. Watch it. Uh, I'll lastly say about green book is um, there's, there's two main reasons I think that I like this film. I love Viggo Mortensen and I love Mahersha Ali. I've been following both of these. Obviously I first started following Viggo for Lord of the Rings. But Mahershala was on a series on the 44 called the 4400 on the USA Network like 15 years ago. Only hardcore sci-fi fans even knew that. And I was like, dude, this guy, this guy's great. And then he kind of disappeared for a few years. And now he's just popped back up and boom. What do you know? Two Oscars for this guy. Back was it back to back years? It's back to back years, right? I think it's two in the last three. three. Okay, so he's the oh, only he's the only African American actor to win two Oscars besides Denzel Washington. So I got to ask, is he the new Denzel? He's two of the last three. Um, He won in 2016 uh, for Moonlight. He won in 2018 for Green Book, obviously. 2017, Sam Rockwell, well-deserving winner in his own right. Phenomenal actor who's also blowing up. Great movie. As far as, is he the new Denzel? Yes and no. Uh, He's clearly got, he's he's on a win streak. He's not only got those two roles, 
Obviously, his uh, role in Luke Cage broke him out. Uh, he was also in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, in a prominent role there. But I have two issues. One is why was he nominated as Best Supporting Actor and Vigo was nominated as Best Lead Actor? I was curious it's about a, that. Yeah. If it's a, I mean, if it's a movie where they're both like equals, like they should be in the same category. At the same time, I also understand the selfish reasons of the studio where you want to win as many awards as you can and you don't want to cannibalize. But then again, if this is Don Shirley's story, why did Don Shirley get relegated to the supporting actor role? The second thing is give him a lead actor role, you cowards. Make him a lead actor because he deserves to carry a movie. We know he can act his ass off. Stop putting him in the supporting actor category. Give this man a franchise of his own because he's a phenomenal actor. Um, so since he's been killed off in the MCU, that means he's still eligible to be in the DC extended universe. I mean, if you wanted a John Stewart, yeah, dude, sign me the hell up. Hell, Martian man, you wanted a Sinestro. <laughs> oh man, God, that'd be so good. Um, <clears throat> we kind of touched on it in the intro. Uh, so I'm gonna let Danny kind of take a victory lap here on, on, on Rami Malik. You don't have to be very long about it if you want, but uh. Try not to fall off the stage like he did. I do want to take a step back real quick because I pulled up the supporting actors and I see the rest of the the nominees. All great nominees in that category. I mean, Adam Driver was fantastic in Black Kinsman. Like I didn't, I didn't realize how good of an actor he was until yeah, that. Yeah, that's the first time I've seen him in besides Star Wars. So yeah, Sam Elliott is a, a legend. Uh, he Absolutely. can can act his way out of a paper bag. Richard E. Grant, Can You Ever Forgive Me? I, really underrated movie. People need to go watch Can You Ever Forgive Me? I have it. I have not watched it yet. Really great performances. And then Sam Rockwell is awesome. I We don't need to belabor how awesome Sam Rockwell is. And I, I love the fact that he's now starting to get more uh, more roles and, and bigger roles and more prominent roles. Um, hey, before you start on Rami, let me ask you about the uh, Can You Forgive Me? Is, is, by the way... Um, I used to watch Gilmore Girls when it was on TV, and I would have never thought that that was, she Sookie was going to be the Oscar nominated actress from that TV show. I'll just put that out there. What a career for her! Jeez. Uh, yeah, no, I mean she nominated for best actress. Uh, probably in another year could have won it, but yeah, she's definitely pivoted out of just straight comedy and now doing some drama. And uh, yeah, who knew she would be the breakout star of that show? Not me. So uh, Rami, Rami. <laughs> Uh, it's predictable. I mean, that's both good and bad. Like it's good because I, cool. I can look at this and I can tell you who's going to win. It's bad because it's like, cool. Are we, are we that pigeonholed where we're not going to recognize another good performance? Like I said, I didn't see green book. I don't even know what at eternity's gate is. Um, Bradley Cooper did not deserve best actor for that. <laughs> they were never going to give Christian bell the, the lead, the nod for, being Dick Cheney. So Rami kind of wins by default, but he, I've also heard he was brilliant in the movie and he was, he was the movie. And so he was the, he should have been the only thing that won. And he, for the most part, he was the biggest win for them. It's cool. But at the same time, like I joke about it, but like, yeah, Tom Hanks is probably winning next year for, for the Mr. Rogers movie. I mean, like, and he could, and who knows, maybe he sucks so bad that he doesn't, but like, would you not put money on that today? Like Tom Hanks is going to win best actor. Cause he's in a biopic. Well, the Elton John movie's coming out too. So <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later. Who's, Elton John? Who's playing Elton John? Taron Egerton. 
see, I'm gonna, is he going to sing his own songs? Because if he sings, that gives him the look up. If he doesn't, it's Tom Hanks. Who doesn't love that. Tom Hanks? He's playing Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? Well, I don't know. The Mr. Rogers documentary didn't even get nominated for Best Documentary this year. So Academy misses some. Um, I do. Just I like mean, I feel like they, they've totally missed on Glenn Close, Glenn Close her whole career. Because uh, when I just we were I was on the uh, Geek Vibe Nation podcast on uh, Saturday, and I had no idea that she did not win an Oscar for Fatal Attraction. I don't know if you've ever seen Fatal Attraction, but if you have, it's still burned in your memory because that movie is scarier than any Stephen King book I've ever read. <laughs> that is an iconic role that I can't believe she didn't. Not only did she not win for, but that she's never won. And I think that she was. By far, the I mean, this was the biggest upset of the night, right? Glenn Close not winning uh, for Spider-Man. By far, the biggest upset. I was. I mean, so much so that the, the actress that did win, you could tell she was so flabbergasted about it that she had no idea what to say. I mean, Glenn had been cleaning up the the pre-Oscar show, and everyone kind of assumed it was. And I think that's what hurt her is that everyone assumed she was a shoe in, and there. And I know I sent you some links from the anonymous Oscar voters, and I've seen a few other interviews where the cinema. We all thought she would overwhelmingly win, so we threw a vote to uh, the woman who did win, whose name I'm blanking on. Me too. Olivia uh, something. Olivia Coleman, who, by the way, gave a fantastic. Her speech was freaking awesome. I loved her speech. She was so good because she was so genuine that she didn't believe that she had won. And even she apologized to Glenn Close. <laughs> she blew a raspberry when they said, "Like, start wrapping it up." She's like, "No, this is my moment. I'm never going to get this again." <laughs> but at the same time, like. That hurt her because everyone threw her vote, which, by the way, I don't know why they threw her a vote. It's not like they released the percentages. It's not like they like you don't get invited back to the Oscars if you don't hit a certain percentage. Like that's a that's dumb logic and rationale. And that you told me last week that only four people had seen the favorite. So I guess all four of them voted for her. <laughs> all four voted for her. Um, but, yeah, no, Glenn Close lost to Cher in 1987. I, I don't know how did Cher win this? I don't know. <laughs> That's a conversation right there. Jeez. What In 1988, she gets nominated again for the best actress and she loses to Jodie Foster and, you know, Sigourney Reaver and Meryl Streep also nominated that year. So, Hey, sure. Win for, I'm not gonna be able to move past this. Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Glenn Close, 2011. She's nominated again. She's nominated against Viola Davis and the eventual winner, Meryl Streep, because Meryl Streep automatically gets nominated for everything she ever does. Then she loses again in this one, and then she lost some best supporting. But, like, I mean, it's unfortunate, but, like, this is what happens when you get nominated, when you get, when you're acting in the same era that Meryl Streep is being, is acting. 17-time nominee Meryl Streep for best lead actress. Yeah, most people haven't even been in that many movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the closest person is 12, and that's Catherine Hepburn, back when there was like five movies a year. So I feel bad for Glenn Close. The the only good thing is if she is ever nominated again, she's going to win. Because yeah. I feel bad that she didn't win this time when she should have won, because uh, I've heard nothing but praise for her, her role in the wife. But the, the thing is, will she ever be nominated again? Because I think she will, because it's got to be a, a like a lifetime achievement kind of. We're kind of like Leo got got finally got his for a movie that people really didn't even think that he was the best in. People thought Tom Hardy kind of stole that movie, yeah. which he did. Uh, but it was kind of like 
it's just his time, you know? So it's, well, I mean, it's sad, I, but that's how they do it. I, I only say that because she is, you know, she is 71. Um, I think the wife came out late 2017. Like, I don't know that she's working on anything right now. Um, I mean, so yeah, no, it came out late 2017, released in the United States, uh, mid 2018, but yeah. So she hasn't, there's nothing that's pre or post-production for her. Who knows? Like who put knows? Her, put her in a biopic about Nancy Pelosi or something. Maybe she'll win that. Oh, sorry. It's the only old lady I could think of. I was about to say, you know, if they didn't kill her character off screen in Guardians of the Galaxy, like they could uh, yeah. Galaxy three because Marvel's winning Oscars now. Uh, we'll get that one to a second. Um, I just want to touch on Netflix here. And I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I kind of started a, it started as like an LOL. And then it started as like a big conversation where I said, I felt like Netflix is going to WWE HBO and HBO being WCW as in they're going to spend them into bankruptcy. Because you're hearing about all these, there's this article about all of these shows that HBO passed on because they wanted to be selective and some of Netflix's biggest hits. And they're like now like, oh, we're going to start greenlighting a lot more shows that we never would have before. Like, So you're going to start spending a lot of money just hoping for that big hit after Game of Thrones. And some people started to say they could see it. I mean, you still think Disney Plus is going to end up winning all this, but I mean, after last night, I said, I thought, I thought, or sorry, not last night, it's two nights ago. I thought that there was no chance that they were going to give anything to Roma because that would be acknowledging, if they did, it would have been like editing or something like that. I did not think they were going to give it best director or best picture because then that would have to be them admitting Netflix is actually a pretty good movie studio. So I feel like this is, this is Netflix's watershed moment. This is the moment where everyone's like, crap we can't just review bomb the hell out of them as critics anymore when they drop a movie directly to netflix without us seeing it first we've got to actually start taking them seriously now so i is a big deal and i haven't even seen roma uh, i'll probably will watch it because i like everything i've seen by coron i love gravity gravity is excellent dude harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban it's my favorite harry potter movie and god what was the other one uh children of men one of the best science fiction flicks i've ever seen so this guy obviously knows his shit. Two-time best best picture or best director Oscar winner. Pretty much, I think at this point, anything he makes is going to be Oscar bait. So yeah, scoop him, scoop him up, uh, Warner Bros. Get him in there to do a a superhero movie. I I I will toot my own horn. I did call it. I did call it. They Roma would walk away with a few, um, and then won best director, best foreign language film, and best cinematography. Uh, even at my most. I was like, it's going to walk away with best cinematography and there's no way it can't because the whole point of the movie is how gorgeous it looks. And it looks, every trailer, every shot, every image, it's gorgeous. There's, It's kind of cheating because when you do black and white, you automatically stand out from the crowd. But that just means that your use of light, your use of space, um, how you frame each shot becomes that much more important. And uh, everything that I've seen of the movie it looks gorgeous. Again, I haven't seen it. I will see it because it's on Netflix. It's accessible. I can just turn it on and watch it. Um, is it the watershed moment? Probably. Um, just like with the Emmys, it took a little bit of time. And then once they got nominated for one thing, all the nominations came. I mean, I think they're up to like 63 Emmy primetime Emmy wins. And they've got a few Golden Globes under their belts and some Critics' Choice Awards. And they just picked up uh, three 
three Academy Awards plus another one, maybe. Uh, yeah, the best documentary short subject. So four Academy Awards last or this past Sunday night. And, you know, sure. I mean, they had a trailer drop for a movie that I hadn't even heard about with a serious cast. And the end reveal was like, oh, and it's a Netflix movie. And you're like, what? De Niro? Is that the Ben Affleck one? No, it's the De Niro. And uh, it's like the, the gangster one. I don't think I've seen that one. There's the Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner one, which you already know. Hey, take you already taken my money, Netflix. So take my money so I can watch this movie. And then they got that Ben Affleck movie where the, the cast were like, holy crap, how are they affording this? But yeah, they ain't slowing down with these movies. It's uh, The Irishman. Uh, it is. They got so many, I can't keep up with them now. It is. It's a $200 million budget movie, which. Really? Wow. <laughs> So it is directed and produced by Martin Scorsese. Uh, big get. Robert De Niro stars. Uh, Al Pacino is in it as Jimmy Hoffa. Joe Pesci. Why haven't it. I not heard of this? This is like all, the, just, all the wise guys. They just released the, the trailer. Bobby Cannavale is in it. Uh, Ray Romano is in it. Anna Paquin is in it. This is a star-studded movie, and it's going to drop on Netflix at some point this year. So yeah, Netflix is 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 real shit, man. And, and I don't know why people were like, oh, I don't know. I think it's because for the longest time, HBO has been like the gold standard, you know? And now that there's streaming services that have serious award-winning series now, it's like, this ain't like HBO versus Showtime here, you know? This is, this, this is, this is Ali Frazier. This is good stuff here. And I, I'm here for it, man. I'm I mean, interested to see what HBO is going to do after Game of Thrones. And I'm not counting that little Game of Thrones spinoff because that ain't a slam dunk. I think the, the thing with Netflix and the, the story here is now they're getting, they've gotten the, the critical acclaim. They've gotten the, the fandom. They have people now getting awards and they have guys like Martin Scorsese, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, movies on these platforms. And you can see the creative freedom they have because essentially Alfonso made it. I, th- I think some refer to it as the most expensive indulgent home video. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get, if you, if you are someone who creates and you see that and for somehow, some way they get the money for all this, like why wouldn't you release it on your terms whenever you wanted to make the movie that you wanted to make? Like, I think it's a, it's a good time to do that because you have so many directors getting scooped up by the Marvel DC machine that have to make the Marvel DC movie. And why wouldn't they want to take a break and make a movie for Netflix? Uh, speaking of the Marvel DC, uh, DC can no longer flex and say, hey, call us when you got an Oscar, bro, because uh, Black Panther is now the three-time Academy Award-winning Black Panther. So, Dan, you want to flex on this? I was stunned. Stunned. Could not could not believe. I thought he'd get something. I didn't think it would get best picture. I, I didn't think it would win three. I thought it would get like best costuming or something like that. So it won for best original score. It won for best production design. And it won for uh, best costume design. I thought it would win costume design. Who was it up against for best score? I, although I was like really, like I was torn because the favorites of period piece and period pieces usually win best costume design. Uh, best production design was a stunner. And as soon as it won best production design, I was like, oh my God, it might actually walk away with something else. And I was alluding to best picture, uh, especially after best score. I was like, oh my God, it actually might win best picture because it's winning awards that it shouldn't, like it, I didn't think it was possible for it to win. You know, I'm a score honk. So I'm still just like, ah, I got to see what that I love the score. Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. 
the, the, theme, the Wakanda, the Wakanda theme, when it hits, like it always gives me goosebumps and I don't really understand how or why, but it always just like, you, you feel it and you're like, yeah. I, so I, again, I thought they did a great job with that. And um, I didn't, wasn't really like excited about any of the other nominees and score. So yeah, it won three. Uh, however, it can't claim to be the first Marvel superhero to win an Oscar because based on timing, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is the first Marvel movie to win an Oscar. Uh, and they will always be that way because they announced the animated feature first uh, before any of the others. So it's great. Um, best costume design. Uh, they did a great job visualizing the world and seeing it through. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good for Marvel because that pressure is off. Um, they still have to fight the perception of being a superhero movie. And, uh, you know, the, you saw the, the comments that I had sent you from the anonymous voters. There is a definite slant against the superhero. Oh, for sure. Um, because some people in the Oscar voting community think it's their job to get people to see movies that they wouldn't normally see and they won't vote for anything popular. And I think that and we'll get into that a little bit later. But well, yeah, you should have seen the, the lashback afterward. It was like you could tell they were intentionally not voting for Lord of the Rings. And so finally, yeah. when the third movie came out, they just gave it everything as like an achievement, you know? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's good for Kevin Faye to he, he's got three now, three that can sit in his office. Um, you know, I think if Marvel pushes itself, they can win these awards. Black Panther was a risk. It was a huge risk. No one thought no one anticipated how big a success Black Panther would be. And we've talked about that ad nauseum on, on the past, on past pods here. I, I think Marvel needs to remember that and needs to continue to give new properties and new directors a chance to tell their stories. Uh, so we can avoid superhero fatigue. Uh, you know, there was a real close period where people were just like, it's the same movie over and over and over again. And if they really want to churn out three plus movies a year, they need to take more chances and, and not tell the same old story. And I think that that's highlighted on the other end by Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because that movie is, it's a game changer of a movie. And yes, it is a Marvel and Sony collaboration, but at the same time, that movie isn't like, it doesn't feel or appear like anything else I've ever seen. Maybe they should get the people that did the costume design on Black Panther into Aladdin, AS, AF, and P, because those costumes are bad. Um, yeah, so I mean, hey, cool. I- I'm glad I'm glad it won something. I will say I feel like Infinity War got ripped off. I saw First Man also. Special effects were good. You didn't have the main, the main, arguably the main character of the movie being CGI and looking that good. I will say that for best visual effects, if I had my vote, I probably would have given it to Ready Player One because it's probably the most ambitious of all the out of all the diarrhea. That movie looked like I, diarrhea. No, not, I'm not talking about the movie. This is visual effects. Out of all the visual effects, no, that's why I didn't like it. It looked the aesthetic was ugly. I hated it. I love Infinity War. I I do, but there are some there are some scenes because of the CGI. It just doesn't look. It doesn't look as good as it should. Thanos looks great, but I like Tony Stark looks bad. Some of the scenes on Titan don't look as great or as sharp as it should. Look, I know uh, you're excited because your two movies won some Oscars, but you're wrong on this one. Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, uh, why I did not pick Spider-Verse to win this. One, I had not seen it yet. I have seen it now. But one, I had not seen it yet. And two, I was like, 
you don't beat Pixar with the Academy. I, this feels like not only the watershed moment for, for Netflix, but it feels like everyone's catching up now. You remember how in the Olympics when it seemed like, oh, USA basketball can never get defeated. And then they started getting the, because the rest of the world had caught, caught up. I feel like that's how the rest of animation studios are they're catching up to Pixar now. Because I pointed out earlier today, besides Coco, four of their last five movies have been meant to, I'll never watch again. And that's incredible for a studio that was like automatic for years. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the name. Incredibles 2, I thought was just okay. Good Dinosaur was trash. Finding Dory, I forgot about the second I walked out of the theater. And I don't even remember what the other one is. So that tells you where I was at. So Pixar is not as automatic as it used to be. And now I guess the Academy finally took notice because a lot of the times categories like this, well, you know, this, this deserves to win it, but they got to give to this for reasons, you know. But now that I've seen this movie and me, the big old guard Spider-Man hashtag, not my Spider-Man, Miles Morales. This is my second favorite Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. And it's because they took Peter Parker, my maybe my favorite superhero ever, and made him not the dope they made him out to look like in the, in the comic book. It They referenced every single Spider-Man big moment that I could think of, not just in the movies, even though they did. They even brought up the Spider-Man 3 stuff. I couldn't believe that. But, I mean, you put Spider-Man War and Spider-Pig, that's incredible. And it's not just like, what am I watching here? It's actually good. And, by the way, I want a Spider-Man War movie with Nicolas Cage now. I want it to happen. Do it, Sony. You are the most knee-jerky, reactionary studio out there. Do it. Give me my Spider-Man War movie. But it was me as a, as a Peter Parker fan. I am absolutely over the moon happy with this. And someone who has always been kind of mad on Miles Morales, I'm actually – Actually kind of made me a fan. I like it. I like it quite a bit. I, I did not see the Prowler thing coming, so that was pretty cool. But I want to talk about the animation for this movie. While I did not care for the herky-jerky like motion stuff once in a while, the color and just like, I don't want to say the cinematography. I don't really know what, what the term really is for an animated movie. But just some of the choices that they made really made it feel like a 3D comic book come to life a lot of times. And the music was just freaking great. I loved it. I would definitely be getting that soundtrack. So... Uh, I've watched it probably as many times as you now because my my six year old got it. I got it on digital when he's watched it. He comes home from school and he watches it like twice in a row every day. So, um, yeah, uh, I know how you feel about the movie, and I know you've got to be somewhat happy that I enjoyed it. I, you know, I didn't walk into this like this movie knowing that it was going to be great. Um, I know Kyle, friend of the show, had seen it, and he's. He's so he hates Miles Morales, guys, and he likes it. He's so anti-Miles Morales that he came out loving it. And then Armin, uh, another friend of the show, was talking about it and how great it was. And so I was like, I, I was optimistic. But even when I sat down in the chair, I didn't know that I would love this movie until they referenced the Spider-Man 3 thing. And they, they talk about, and I did this for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I knew I was, I knew that this, I was in good hands. Uh I love that you called out the animation because uh, the directors acknowledged, you know, many times during their interviews that this was a love letter to comic books. And a lot of the style choices that they took with the animation was about making a comic book because visually superhero movies, animated movies, they, they all look the same for the most part. Um, took some, they really pushed themselves visually as far as the concept they took everything from the, the Spider-Man universe, the entire, from the ice cream bars 
to the spider buggy, to all the costumes, including the PS4 costume, which you can see in the background and the Peter spider cave, everything that they could reference, they did. And, you know, even like the Marvel Netflix stuff with Kingpin and his background, everything was so well thought out and everything was used in a way that just added to the movie um, that built upon the, with great power comes great responsibility to bridge it to the modern day with the, anybody could be under the mask, which by the Stan Lee quote at the end was there. The entire inspiration for the movie is that anybody could be a superhero. It, as long as you have the power, you have the responsibility to do it. And it's such a beautiful movie. And I think Kevin Smith put it best uh, on his fat man podcast. And he said, it made me love Spider-Man like a DC character because what this did is, and I, and I know I remember telling you this, what this movie did is it didn't, it didn't hate on Peter Parker. It didn't set out to make him look like a dope. It took Peter Parker and the ideals and concepts that he was built around. And it made it bigger than Peter. It made it a legacy and an icon as opposed to, well, Peter Parker has to be Spider-Man. Um, and clearly that resonated with everyone afterwards because you can search on Twitter spider sonas and see how people like design their own Spider-Man costume and how they all want it to be Spider-Man. And it definitely felt like Spider-Man became an, a legacy mantle hero. And that just, I mean, that blows me away that they treated it with as much care as they did. And that people like people like locked onto it, latched onto it and really picked up on that. Right. It, it, the whole thing felt like a love letter to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, who, you know, we lost both of them last year. And that just, at, like I said, as someone who has read Spider-Man comics since he was five years old, guys, I was extremely happy. And I mean, even the, I, I don't want to get too spoilery because in case somebody still hasn't seen it, but when Earth One Spider-Man, something happens to him. Uh, that part I was thinking about you always tell me about the 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 part where you know he goes to heaven and sees you know Uncle Ben. I was like, oh my god, are they going to do that? Because I might actually get emotional on this, and I was not expecting that in an animated film. Also, this leaves the door open for uh, DC to do uh, flashes into the multiverse. Guys, come on, lay up, lay up. All right. I will say that the nice thing about this is that this movie shows because I know that Marvel, especially as they try to introduce various versions of the heroes and try to modernize it, like there's that there's the segment of fandom that thinks that they're quote unquote bashing my childhood or like neglecting my childhood. This movie shows you don't have to denigrate an original character. Exactly. That's my whole point. You're right. A mantle character. Like, and we've seen it on the DC side plenty of times. Green Lantern is a great example. Like how Jordan was a Green Lantern, but then Kyle Rayner came along and people, and there are some people that for some reason love Kyle Rayner, <laughs> but then John Stewart came along and Guy Gardner came along and so on and so forth. And, there were reasons if you treat all characters as equals that people love these characters and they can have their favorites. And it's the best part is when they interact with each other. Man, quit uh, lying. Nobody likes that poser freaking Kyle Rayner poser. I will say though, <laughs> I know that they have a, that they're looking at making a, a spider Gwen movie. They've talked about spider, a spider ham animated series, which would be awesome. That's the weirdest thing, but it would be awesome. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I need a Spider-Man noir shorts at some point uh, because the line, the line that always plays in my head sometimes whenever someone says like, is it windy outside now? Is wherever I go, the wind follows. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was so good. It was so good. I, just, I didn't, I mean, I, I'll be honest though. I didn't know the robot and the little girl. I'd never even heard of that. I can see if it was I mean, even it, new or ultimates. I had no idea what that was. I mean, let's see. That was the thing. Like it worked. And because like, you know, the Spider-Man story, you didn't have to like, 
that was the cool thing that they riffed on is like you didn't have to know who they were you you knew the basic concepts like that scene where they talk about for me it was my uncle ben for me it was my uncle benjamin mm-hmm. it was and you automatically understood it and you knew it and you didn't have to be told and spoon fed like, oh, this is the Spider-Man story. Right. And it took two characters, Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen, two characters that I have not been able to get into in their comics and made me like them quite a bit. Because to me, the the, the Gwen Stacy one was different because I just felt like it, it robbed us of the impact of Stanley killed a character and she stayed dead. You know, that was like a big deal for a long time. So that was my my thing about it again. There's a little, still a little bit of that old guard Spider-Man fan in me that you'll get every once in a while. But again, hats off! What an achievement to that movie to be able to please new fans and old. I will say her costume, her design in general. I love the Spider-Man design. I think it's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Ever, yeah, all right. The hood and the pink and the eyes and like the the little fade in, fade out of the colors. What, what about Shazam's hood? How do you feel about that? Shazam hood or no hood? No hood. Shazam can't. It just needs a little shoulder cape. Give me the shoulder cape and I'm happy. All right. Um, I think we're going to kind of move on a little bit here, but I just want to say, Danny, I know you really like Star is Born. I haven't seen it yet. Obviously, I think that Lady Gaga is one of the most talented musicians in music. Nothing I will ever say bad about, about the way that she sings. Uh, does Bradley Cooper sing better than this in the movie? Because everyone was like wetting their pants over this. And I was like, well, Lady Gaga sounds great, but freaking Rocket Raccoon sound a little rough up there. And, and by the way, are you guys screwing or what? Jesus Christ. First, that's that's why the movie works is because their chemistry, they have chemistry. It's undeniable chemistry between the two of them. They're, between they're, the sheets? <laughs> I I am I like I enjoyed the movie and I really like to Star is Born. I don't think it's I don't think the movie's like amazing, especially I'm not mad like everyone else that they didn't win best director, best actor best actress best picture because it's a remake of a remake of a remake like it's a it's been done three or four times good movie but like we've seen it before the song is what makes the movie special their chemistry makes the movie special um it's in the movie obviously he sings better because it's post-production they can right that's what i'm asking okay i will give bradley cooper a lot of credit though he's not a singer why he did spend six months training for this movie to sing you can sing or you can't there is no there is no training <laughs> no you can coach you can coach a decent vocal and that's what he does sure i'm saying but if you have zero talent to sing no. they know coach helping you um so i will give bradley a lot of credit because he he went on stage in front of his peers on in front of live tv and he sang he start he did start off really pitchy but he found his groove eventually Settled down, settled in. I mean, he was nervous. I understand it. Jennifer Hudson also sounded pitchy early on. And I think part of it is the sound equipment. Just something sounded off with Jennifer Hudson. And I'll give uh, Bradley Cooper a little bit benefit of the doubt there. But I mean, it doesn't even matter like how he sounded because the chemistry and the way that they look at each other and the way that they act when that song is on, it really sells you on the emotion. And it sells you on like the fact that these two people could be in love. Um, they probably do love each other, but platonically, because they're both married. Uh, okay. All right. Um, um, <laughs> I, I, will, I will say Bradley Cooper. I don't think Bradley Cooper had an earpiece in his ear, which if that is true, even more credit to him, because to sing without an earpiece on, you can't hear yourself and adjust that like that. Stunning, remarkable. Like, again, all the credit in the world to Bradley Cooper, because I couldn't get in front of a stage like that and sing for people, uh, especially like millions of people on live TV. Uh, knowing that if I sang really poorly, like it would be like the end of my career. So Bradley Cooper 
balls of steel. More power to you. Please don't ever do this again, though. Well, this is like an instant meme now, you know, with them looking at each other and smiling, and you just put like a different name on each one's head. But, you know, the, the instant memes always pop up after the Super Bowl, after the Oscars, after whatever, something that's got large, large audiences. Uh, I did want to say about Bradley Cooper real fast is that I talked about what a career for Mahershala Ali. Bradley Cooper started on freaking Alias, man, a show that me and you watched, and I don't know anybody else that watched it. So hey, that guy, I never would have pegged him as, no A-list, as an A-list Hollywood actor that gets you pick his own role, and now a director. So hey, Jesus, American he's, Dream is true, guys. It can it can happen to anybody, right? He's a very talent. Like this was his, I think, directorial debut. Very talented. Uh, definitely has an eye for story and for for movie. He's only going to get better. Uh, I can't wait to see what other stories he produces and what other stories he tells him. Again, like with John Krasinski, Jordan Peele, we're seeing a bunch of actors cross over to be directors. And I think their movies are better for it because they understand it from two different perspectives. Um, they understand how to bring something out of an actor or an actress. Something controversial that geeks will get mad about. I still think Bradley Cooper should be the new Indiana Jones. There, I said it. I don't think that's controversial. I'm, I'm for it. Like, let's do uh, well, it. I mean, a lot of people are like, no remakes, no remakes. That's sacred. You know, I mean, you saw how they treated Solo. So, I mean, it's you, you're talking about a Harrison Ford iconic role and no one's going to want to accept no remakes. Like, guys, they got the properties. They got these to make money. They're going to remake them. They're going to keep them going. And I don't want to see 76-year-old Harrison Ford die on the set of an Indiana Jones movie. So, I'm just saying. No, should, I've already seen him die in a Star Wars movie. Pass the fedora, pass the whip, you know. Bradley Cooper's the guy to do it. Not not Chris Pratt. Give it to Bradley Cooper. He looks like Indiana Jones to me. Um, so they did not have the lowest ratings ever like last year. They had the second lowest ratings ever. So, I mean, it's still like 28 million people, which is still really good. Um, you linked me to some stuff where the guy basically was talking about like some of the problems with the show. I just want to really, is there anything that can be done to improve viewership or is this just kind of where we're at now? I think it could. Um, I think having, for the fact that they didn't have a host, I thought it went a lot smoother than I anticipated. Uh, Obviously, I think that they can get better with not having a host and the cues for cameras and like segment timing. And I I think in the future, they should keep this for next year and try to improve upon it. Um, Not having the stupid skits helps. I thought that the little brief jokes by each award presenter was fine. Also, uh, side note, Daniel Craig and um, Charlize Theron. Holy shit, like the blue eyes between them just uh, – for a second, I forgot where I was. Call me, Charlize. Call me. Call me. Uh, Collect. Other things that they could do to improve it, I think the biggest thing is just the movies that get nominated. And it wasn't a surprise to me that they not the ratings bounced back this year because – they did have Black Panther. They did have Netflix's Roma. They did have a Star Wars board movies that people actually saw. And I think that the easiest way to fix it is if you are honoring movies that people saw and are actually invested in, you're going to get people to tune in. I think some of the remarks by voters, whether they're anonymous or not, anonymous or not, is they try not to reward the movies that actually make the money because they think that they need to pump up other movies. I think that's stupid and that's backwards and I don't really get it. Like you're not nominated. You're not rewarding the best movies then you're rewarding the best movies that no one saw. And while I think there is merit to their, to their, whatever their, their drive there. I, I think that you cool. It means you're intentionally cutting out these movies 
And then you're not, you admit that you haven't seen certain movies and then you admit that you vote for this person because you like them as opposed to their performance. Like, I think that kind of cheapens like what, what the show is about. Like, yes, there's always going to be bias, but I think that if you had voters that actually saw these movies that voted based on merit, you'd have, you'd have more popular movies involved and you would have more people tuning in because of that. I think the other part of this is, and I know that after the Oscar so white thing, they, they did reach out to get more representation on the Oscars panel. I think they need to change the Oscars panel. I think there needs to be stipulations where it's like, cool, if you didn't see all the nominees in a category, you can't vote for the category. If you don't see these move, if you don't see a certain amount of movies, you don't get to vote period. Like part of voting means you have to go out and see these movies. And part of that means taking it seriously and, and voting for it seriously. I think you mix it up every year and you can get critics involved in the voting. You can get people that produce and make the movies and act in the movies. And you can get, I think they can even open it up and have fans vote. I think if you, they could get engagement. I don't know the logistics because this is off the cuff, but if you got fans and verified somehow that they went and saw all the animated short films and that they, they feel like they have a voice. Like I think you would actually get more viewership that way by giving that, by having fans lean in, engage a little bit more with it. Um, again, I think the logistics of that is, are scary and you'd have to really, really, really vet the process, but I, anybody can watch a movie and tell you like if something was good or not. And I think that the more that they open up that access and transparency, the the better off the end product will be. And uh, if the end product is there, people will tune in. No, I like these ideas. Cause I was going to say that I feel like a, you need like a complete rebrand um, to rebrand the image completely, make it feel like it's not just for like Haji Paji people who've seen movies, just this film is not just for the film snob. So to speak, because even I said, Hey, I'm just excited that, I actually have seen the winner for best picture this year before the award. I had to go back to like 2007 for the last time I had actually seen a movie that won best picture before it won best picture, you know? Mm -hmm. So every year it's like some, what is this movie? I've never even heard of this. What movie just won best picture? You know, every year it seems like that happens. So uh, yeah, there were some more uh, noticeable titles this year, but I will say that I thought it'd be a train wreck, but I liked the no host thing. It was, it was, you know, Less need for corny jokes, less need for any kind of grandstanding or statements or anything like that. It was just, let's get to the movies. That's what people like me just, I just want the celebration of the movies. I want to see the movies, you know, and I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't actually watch the telecast, but I heard they, they left, they left off so many people off the memorial this year. I'm like, what? Mm, that always happens. selective with that. That's just weird. But I, I, I think. I think the easiest and quickest fix would be transparent, transparency and accountability into the voting process, identifying who votes for the, for the awards. And I think that they should have to acknowledge like what movies they actually saw. So like, you want, you want like a baseball hall of fame where they show their ballot? Yeah. I, I want to see the ballots, but I, I, I want to see what they saw. Like when you read things like, Oh yeah, I didn't even see this movie. So like, it was nominated, but I didn't even see it. So it wasn't really a real contender. It's like, that's kind of bullshit. That's probably what we need because I think you'd see a lot of the old guard retire if that got enforced. 
you would people that don't take it seriously would retire and i think that would allow more people to step up and be like no like hey i'd love watching movies and i will take this seriously and watch all the nominees and like actually vote based on merit and based on what i think is right like again end of the day it's still people's opinions but if it, at the very least if you say that you saw all five films or all 10 films and you felt like this was the best movie like cool like i can i can live with that at the end of the day as opposed to well, I saw three of these five movies and I'm best friends with this director. And like, that's why I right. that's okay for me and you, but you know, we're not being paid to do this. Yeah. You should yeah. see everything. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. That pretty much wraps up the, the Oscars there. So uh, much more to talk about than I actually expected, because if you listen to the last episode, neither one of us were excited for this at all. So uh, surprised that so much came out of it to, uh, to, to talk about. Uh, we do want to touch on this Rotten Tomatoes thing. They, uh, you see, they changed their want to see metric on their website. I mean, people are calling it review bombing, but it's not review bombing, guys. If it's not a review, it's you can't review anything even as a fan before the movie comes out. It's just people were clicking negative on the want to see thing for Captain Marvel. Apparently, I don't know. I'm like, I understand that the whole Marvel DC thing on Twitter is like this stupid gang war. I've never got it. We've talked about it before. We've never understood it. And I understand why a lot of the DC fans are really angry because there was a lot of critics that were really vicious to Zack Snyder and they feel like they got to like get back to it. I don't care about all that bullshit. That's that's I'm, I'm 40. I got <laughs> I got real responsibilities to worry about stuff like this. Uh, I, I do understand why they did this. I don't think it will change anything uh, unless they're taking away the audience score. It's not going to change anything after the movie is out. So. Uh, personally, I think maybe it'll just make people realize that guys, Rotten Tomatoes isn't that big of a deal. And if you like the movie, like it. If you don't, don't, don't worry about Rotten Tomatoes so damn much. I'm tired of people using this thing for an argument. It's so stupid. It's not just the, the reason why Captain Marvel It's not just the, the DC Marvel thing. Uh, this has been a little bit of a Brie Larson's learning, I guess the pressure that comes with these, uh, with these movies, I guess she had made some, some comments and you know what? Like, I, I don't disagree with her take, like to the effect. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but like she essentially said she wants to make movies, these kinds of movies more inclusive and like, fine. Hey, we saw what happened with black Panther. It made a lot of money. There's an audience for this. We saw wonder woman. It resonated with a lot of people. It made a lot of money too. I get that. Like, support that of course the angry trolls of fortran 4chan and all that take offense to to that and they start doing the rotten tomato rotten tomatoes bombing and it makes sense that rotten tomatoes because it's a marvel movie would step up and be like you know maybe we need to rethink how we do this now to your point this has happened to dc movies and no one's ever stood up for dc movies so and they own rotten tomatoes Warner Brothers owns Rotten Tomatoes, don't they? I mean, and it does make you wonder, like, cool. Again, it's that joke that we say no one wants to bite the hand that feeds them, and the hand that feeds you in the movies these days is Marvel and Disney. So, so you think Bob Iger placed a nice little phone call? <laughs> um, I'm sure that so I'm sure a phone call or two was placed, and but you know what? Like, I'm with you. Who cares? I I hate these movies that now on trailers certified fresh is a thing. Like, I don't care about Rotten Tomatoes. Casual I, audiences care. That's why they do it. I don't I get, get it. it. Like, talk about Metacritic. Talk about like your average review score. I don't give a like. 
I don't care that it's 87% fresh. Like, you know what that means? It's cool. Like it's a three-star movie. <laughs> People uh, act like they're getting grades in high school or some shit. Oh, I got late. I, mean, I really wish I remembered like why, how Rotten Tomatoes became a thing because it's like, it's getting to the point where it's like ruining movies. And yeah. It's ruining movies before they even come out now. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, a movie that's going to come out and will not be ruinous, I hope, is Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. I, I brought this up a little bit earlier. You asked, uh, is he singing? One thing I was going to say about this trailer that I noticed is that ain't Elton singing. So I don't know if it's Taron Edgerton singing or someone else has re-recorded them, or they're you maybe they're using like live audio or something like that. But I was like, that isn't the. It ain't like Queen where he was just he was just lip singing Freddie because I mean who can sing Freddie right? But uh, I noticed the music did sound different, but it still sounded really good. And I feel like that this movie is not going to – the problem that a lot of people – what's the words I'm looking for here? A lot of the more political people were upset with Bohemian Rhapsody because they felt like it shielded his homosexuality. You're not going to be able to do that with an Elton John movie. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like if that's if that's the itch that they need scratched, they need the LGBT icon, Elton – Obviously, Elton is it, you know. I mean, it looks like it's capturing just the exhaustion that Elton was under in the 70s. There's one scene where it shows he's just like absolutely just beat dead, but a second the curtain comes up, he's freaking he's Elton, you know, he's in he's in the Dodgers glittery uniform and he's being Elton. So he got the look, he looks like he's got the moves just like Rami Malik did. So I hope he did as much homework as Rami Malik did because I think this has the opportunity to go off of more than just what the soundtrack is, because as much as I like Bohemian Rhapsody, yes, I will admit a lot of it was the soundtrack, you know, just like I said about Aladdin. A lot of people are still saying, well, I'm going to see it because of this soldier for that soundtrack. I'm a huge Elton John fan. So, you know, I'm going to see it, but uh, I'd like to be able to leave and say that was a damn good movie. And Oh, by the way, the music was great too. Do you have any thoughts about the trailer? I haven't seen the trailer. I, oh, I just sent him a link before this, guys, and he didn't even watch it. I had a I had a busy I had a busy afternoon at work. Um, but personally, like I'm just I'm not an Elton John fan. Last week, chance to see him for free in a suite, I turned it down because I just didn't care. What the hell? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, and I get it. Like I get it. Like I love Benny and the Jets. I know that's an Elton John song. Uh, I know he did a lot of the Lion King songs and. I'd be lying if I didn't say like I knew the worst. Who this is when that this is when that age gap really hurts me because I was going to say after this they're going to do the David Bowie movie and you're probably going to say you don't know any Bowie either, right? Uh, not off the top of my head. No. Oh my god! Um, but like, I'm sure it'll be great because Elton John is still alive. But that's the other side because this is an Elton John movie and he's still alive. It will run into some of the issues that the Queen movie had, where it's like cool there might tell a very sanitized version of like only the good stuff. Like you don't see any of the real bad controversial stuff because Elton John has to give his blessing on his story and how, like how, I think that's the thing is how much is Elton willing to share about what really happened? Um, not that I know his story or know that that for sure is some like really dark, heavy stuff, but for queen, we know that, Hey, there's some really dark shit that they went through. And we didn't see that because obviously they're not going to, like they're not going to want to tarnish their own legacy while they're living. Like, right. I, I hope that, I mean, his, his tell all big book went pretty raw. So I'm hoping that they, you know, they don't shy too much away from that. Yeah. But again, with these movies, like I said, based on a true story, I never expect a, you know, scene for scene from the comic book kind of thing. So 
Hey, I'm just glad we're getting some of these biopics. Uh, I want to see the Bowie one. I want to see this one. And uh, hey, give me an Aussie one next or something like that. That'd be really cool. Before that old man passes away. Uh, look, look, some TV stuff. We're going to kind of go zip through these a little faster than usual because uh, we talked so long about the Oscars. Disney Plus, Danny, it's your thing. It's coming soon. Uh, they said that they're not only they're going to have a new Marvel series, but unlike Marvel Netflix, these are going to tie into the MCU. So, you know, our buddy Frobe is going to be excited. Uh, they got new Star Wars. Danny, it won't go away. The Obi-Wan series. Obi-Wan. Everybody wants it except you and I. And then they're, okay. they're making... I was about to say, I'm okay if it's a series and not a movie. Like, that's fine. And then apparently they want to make something called Disney Villains, which is cool because, I mean, there are a lot of good Disney villains. I don't know if it's live action or animated, though. I hope it's animated. I think that'd be better. I mean, Disney has some of the best mm-hmm. under their umbrella. They have some of the best villains of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, I mean, obviously you can look at like the Wicked Queen and uh, Maleficent, Maleficent, uh, Maleficent. Just, uh, Gaston, which is still my favorite. Scar. But you can also pull in like Darth Vader and, oh. and uh, you know, Doctor Doom. So, oh, see, I was just thinking about like their Disney animated or Pixar films. I wasn't yeah. even thinking about stuff like the properties. If you're, you're going to call this Disney villains, I'm going to go even bigger because I want I want to see like Doctor Doom and Gaston talking like that. That's like why not? Why not put that out there into the universe and see what happens? Give me Darth Vader fighting Doctor Doom, and that's just like that's like watching the end of a Rocky fight right there for me. Heck yeah. I mean. Why not? Why not see Jafar and Doctor Doom talk about politics? <laughs> I mean, I've said right. I've seen. <laughs> I have said that uh, I don't need all these solo movies, and now you're telling me we're going to get solo series on uh, what Loki? Loki's having a solo series, and about hey, what? This is how my net got crushed. I mean, uh, I don't really need that. I don't need a Hawkeye series or whatever. I mean, if no, they end up being. Oh, I just, I don't know, man. It just seems if like- it's Tom Hiddleston telling stories about Loki as a kid, and I'm, I'm referencing the scene in Ragnarok where uh, Thor is telling about how there was one time Loki, you know, turned, he knew I really loved snakes, and he turned himself to a snake, and then he, like, transformed back, and then he stabbed me. It was really traumatic. Like, if it's just, like, Tom Hiddleston narrating stuff like that, I'm for it. Like, why not? Like, it needs content, and they have a lot of star power to draw on. So, sure, like, give me all the... Give me all the series you want to produce with all of your massive amounts of money. I know I'm on the lower end of that. Everyone else can't get enough of the solo stuff, or they want like I'm. I'm at the theater for Civil War, and people behind me are talking about how they want a Vision solo movie, and I'm like, really, Vision? All right. But see, so, but this is the thing with the Disney Plus thing. Like, it needs content, and it needs content like fast. If they want to put out a, an individual series for every Avengers character, why not? Like, they have the money and. You know, if they want to release a Vision series and a and a Rocket Raccoon series and a Groot series, and why not? Like, it's there's no problem. I don't have a problem with it because it's like cool. I don't have to go to the movie theater to see it. And if I pay ten bucks a month for the service, sure, like I'll watch it eventually at some point. And I'll walk, sit through thirty minutes of I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot. And then Chewbacca, yeah. <laughs> Chewbacca. And That's Groot. the crossover. That's the crossover I want. <laughs> I was going to skip ahead a little bit here. Um, Haunting a Hill House is something that I think I told you. I really think that you would enjoy. It's a good introduction, I think, to a, to a, to a horror anthology that I think you like. And actually, it is now a, officially a horror anthology. I thought that Haunting a Hill House, a famous Shirley Jackson novel. So it was like, okay, how are they going to make a season two of this? 
And when Kyle asked me that, I said, I'd like to see them make it a anthology series, kind of like American Horror Story. Well, turns out that's what they were doing. So uh, give me my money, Hollywood. Uh, uh, season two, it, I guess we're just going to keep keeping keep the, uh, the haunting theme instead of Haunting of Hill House, because the new season is going to be called Haunting of Bly Manor, which is based on the Henry James novel, The Turn of the Screw. Have not read it. Uh, but it's got Mike Flanagan coming back. That's the guy who ran the, the series for that. He made Gerald's Game. Uh, he made Oculus. Some good horror movies that you know of. I think he's right up there with James Wan is my favorite in the genre right now. So anything Mike Flanagan's doing, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna watch. And damn it, Danny, I'm going to keep telling you to quit watching stuff like Arrow Season 1 again and shit and watch Haunting a Hill House because I think you'd watch I, it in like a day. I think you'd I will it. have you know I am on Arrow Season 3 slash Flash Season 1 at the midway point. <laughs> I I don't have any time. That's why. That's why I don't have any time. Although I will say, I will say, on top of those two, I am watching Umbrella Academy, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. I really love. I'm three episodes through, and I thought the first, I thought the pilot episode of Umbrella Academy was incredible. I thought I was like, you introduced that many characters in the universe in in a one-hour pilot, and it was that good. Two was good, and then I thought three kind of dragged a little bit. But I'm going to keep going. Obviously, I I I really really like the cast quite a bit and uh the music is just perfect i love all the music in it. no i i i'm i think two episodes away from being done with the first season and um it's not a perfect show by any means but it, it's certainly entertaining and it's a little bit different than the norm and i kind of like i i kind of like the weird offbeat stuff so do you like the what i said about it is i feel like it's x-men meets watchmen or actually someone said that to me but that's what i'm definitely running with now it's a little bit X Men. It's a little bit Watchmen. I mean, it's definitely. Ins- I mean, obviously, Jared Way uh, he, grew up loving X Men. Yeah, he grew up loving the X Men and loving comic books, and obviously, you can see the influences in it. But at the same time, um, you know, it's it's an enjoyable story. Like the cast really does make the show, and I think all of the uh, uh, the Academy members uh, just have really great chemistry with each other, and the fact that they're I think only two of them, at least to me, only two of them are like known commodities. I think that speaks volumes to to the the, the cast. guy that plays Luther. I think is the only one, and Ellen Page, obviously, but the guy who plays Ellen Luther, Page. he's on a Black Sales. So that's only I think that's the only the only two I know. Although I thought I, I knew the chick playing Allison, and she looks familiar, but I couldn't place her. Yeah, Luther and Ellen Page are the only two I know, um, and I adore Ellen Page, and I think uh, she has a really good storyline through the season. So you're telling me that picks up, huh? Okay, because right now it's like when she's on the screen, I'm like, all right, it's kind of screeching to a halt here. Yeah, they're all right. The uninteresting, don't have any powers chick. Awesome. Okay. All right. But she's going to play her violin. All right. Yeah. So it gets better. It picks up. All right. I did want to mention real fast, uh, Philip K. Dick, The Man in the High Castle. Uh, I, I have not watched season three yet. It felt like it took three years between season two and three and we haven't even started yet and now they've announced that the final season is coming out this year too so just want to quick recommend if you guys have not watched the man in the high castle if you're a fan of philip k dick like danny is and you still haven't watched well there's no excuse you should they, they passed the part of the book now so this is all just stuff that they're making up it's very very good it's basically wolfenstein the, the tv series so uh recommend the man in the high castle and i gotta say i recommend it myself because i haven't watched season three yet you ever gonna watch that one? What is, what series? Ser, uh, what service is this on? Uh, oh, never mind. I forgot. You don't have Prime Video. Sorry, Amazon Prime. Uh, Prime original series. Evil Amazon. Uh, let's close it down by. Uh, we always try to talk about something video game or a comic book or something like that related here at the very end. And the big news is uh, what EA. Pokemon, 
Pokemon release or Pokemon news comes out tomorrow. That's the big news. What is that? Is that a Switch game? Uh, no, they're doing a the their what do they call the Nintendo things that they do? No, um, oh, the, the Nintendo Direct stuff. So tomorrow there is a Pokemon Direct where they will announce the newest generation. I was being facetious because I knew you wanted to talk about EA. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I, I, I will bring this up because I think it's relevant. Uh, the the new Detective Pikachu trailer came out, and I was like, neat. And everyone is just like, well, I'm talking people probably 25 to 50 years old are so excited. I'm just like. I feel like I just missed the damn boat on Pokemon because it came out, it got really big in the States when I was like 18. I wasn't into that shit. So I was like, I feel like I, that and power Rangers, I just missed it. And I just, I was like, I'm not And some people got snappy with him. I'm like, I'm not hating. I'm saying I feel left out. I feel like I missed something because I just, I've tried watching the cartoon with my kid. And it's just like, it is not for me. <laughs> I do know Mewtwo though, and I saw that he was in the trailer, so that's cool. I will say, as far as you being ten years older than me, you would have been eighteen to twenty, and your mind would have been elsewhere, as opposed to a ten-year-old me. Right, that was about women, not Pokemon. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I got to catch them all. Like, totally on board with oh, this. Oh, I had to catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I think for me. You know, I love RPGs. That's my favorite style of game. I love the investment of putting time in and like crafting a character and getting them stronger and seeing them develop. Uh, RPGs aren't your jam, are they? Or are they? Yeah, hell yeah, they are. But like Squaresoft turn-based stuff, not the card games. Well, this is turn-based. So, you know, if you were willing to give one of the Game Boy games. Are are you talking about yellow and blue? Pokemon yellow? Yeah, I would probably probably recommend you start like yellow. I was working at a game store when this first broke out big and we started carrying those cards. I was like, no one's going to buy this shit. We couldn't keep them on the shelves. And then, so I was still working at the game store when red, when, when, uh, when yellow and blue came out and we had a midnight opening and I could not believe that there was kids four years old waiting outside at midnight to buy this game with their parents all the way up to my age. So, I mean, it's not like it was, I just missed it. I just missed the phenomenon. I think if you played one of the the earlier versions of the games, you would, if especially if you like RPGs, you would see the appeal of it a little bit. Um, I would say maybe not the earliest versions of the games because they still play it's too slow. Like, I would say gold, silver, ruby, sapphire is probably the sweet spot for. for every me. color of the disc marked off every color of the <laughs> rainbow for these games, huh? <laughs> uh, I, I think for me, like I loved it obviously because I grew up with it, and then you get a little bit older and you move away from it. And the nice thing about having a seven year old nephew is. It's a very, it's an easy language for us to understand because he loves it and I can I can get it and I have a DS upstairs and I can play it and thanks to the internet I can play him and we can compete on the same level not on the same level because I kick his ass every single time because he doesn't understand he doesn't understand or at least when he was a little bit younger he didn't understand that certain types have an advantage over the other he didn't understand like cool why can't I shock you with this Pikachu oh it's because you have a ground type and that's Shock, shocking abuse of authority out of you, man. Wow, that's like me no, killing, my, killing my kid at Connect for like 13 games in a row. You never let kids win. You have to make them earn that shit. Uh, like I, said, I, I dominated my kid at Mario Kart 64 every time we play. And uh, I, like I said, when it comes to board game stuff, like their mom will occasionally like let them win one. I'm like, no mercy. Uh, no mercy. I will crush them. And you know what? And that's why I deserved after Christmas. I was like, yeah, I'll play your new Smash Brothers game with you. And he kicked the shit out of me. And I was like, I guess I deserved that. I guess I deserve that. So, um, but uh, 
Anthem. Anthem. We've talked about it before. That's a EA Bioware's kind of like prayer. Is this well, the Iron Man? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying not to 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 rail on too much, guys, because I have played it. I am not a multiplayer online type of game. I am player one on my sofa. If I want to play multiplayer, hey wife or hey sons, will you come play this game with me and we'll play together on the couch? Uh, but this launch went even worse than they expected, I believe. Because if you remember how bad things went for Mass Effect Andromeda when it came out, apparently the news dropped today that it sold about half of what Mass Effect Andromeda did. And this was BioWare's Hail Mary. They've sank a lot of money into this. This is bad. I mean, EA obviously isn't going anywhere because they still have Star Wars. They still have the, the, the sports licenses. They still have FIFA. They're going to be fine. But Bioware could be gone after this, man. I mean, they've they've completely. This is the studio that gave us the Mass Effect trilogy, Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire, some really great games, and they have turned into completely wasting the Mass Effect fr- franchise, and now putting out some game that online game that wants to be Destiny meets Iron Man. I don't really even know what they were thinking with this. So I'm not stunned to see this. I said that I thought that. It could imp- the game itself could improve with uh with updates and stuff because I mean when Destiny came out and I actually tried to play that it was so barren and it was like nothing to do that I was like this isn't for me and then when I got rid of it apparently they did their first big updates and everything was fixed and everybody loved it I don't think that they have that kind of time with this because that was when PS4 was still needed its its killer game and so it sold a ton. I don't know anybody personally that was like, I got to go out and get Anthem. So I don't know, man. I think Bioware might be in big, big trouble. Uh, I mean, when we saw this at E3, I think we laughed about it. We called it the Iron Man game. I didn't realize it was coming out so soon. And the quick reading that I've done with it is, it seems like everyone, the, the consensus is it's a great idea, but the execution's not there. The time is not there. And I, I remember Bioware being, a developer that took its time with games and made them really in depth. And I'm sure Kyle is, if, as Kyle's, if Kyle listens to this, he, he will send a bunch of tweets our way about the changes that happened when Bioware was purchased by EA and the turnover and staff and uh, how, yeah, EA, none of that mass effect team is there anymore from one and yeah, two. And how, I mean, how EA in general has probably pushed Bioware. I mean, it's, I mean this, we've seen this in like every industry where, the little indie that could gets picked up and then it loses its spirit and soul because it has to, the parent company has to make back that investment um, and it kind of bleeds the dry. And that's what, sadly, it looks like this is what's happening to the Bioware because this is unfortunate because the they killed the Mass Effect series to the point where they had to shelf the Mass Effect series, which should still be a moneymaker for them if they had treated it right with care. Uh, and then you have this and, you know, it's not like Bethesda, um, you know, is I mean, we talked about Bethesda a few weeks ago with the Fallout 76 thing and how they're kind of staggering right now. And it it makes me sad because these are such great IP, such great original properties, and we're seeing them stumble. Um, it's funny that we talk about Nintendo because Nintendo is the only one that seems to, at least in this day and age, when it comes to their original IPs, Nintendo's, and this is probably why they succeeded in part, it's because they treat their big characters with care. They treat these ideas with care and they don't rush out games every year. Um, whereas you see like people trying to make a quick buck here, a quick buck there, uh, and churn out a lot of these series. So um, it's, I hope 
for Bioware's sake that Anthem corrects itself or they update it somehow and they fix it and people latch onto it. But I, I really hope that uh, it doesn't mean like this is like an, the death knell for, for Bioware because Mass Effect Andromeda is a, 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 a dud of a game. And- Piece of shit. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't even like pay attention to the Andromeda thing, and like I think I sent you and Kyle a text like within months of its release. I'm like, it's already twenty dollars. What the hell happened? Yeah, and that oh, that's the thing. Apparently, the uh, Anthem is already on sale on Amazon. That's bad news, man. It means we're trying to ditch the copies that they made. Oh my god, that's what a train wreck. Uh, you mentioned Nintendo, and I didn't want to bring up. I can't think of his last name right now, but I mean, everybody knows Reggie from Nintendo, right? He he Reggie retired. He stepped down. I mean, dude, I felt like Nintendo was flailing there for a few years. Um, I mean, obviously, I bought everything that they made, but they were they had a couple of misses. The GameCube did not do that well. Uh, but Reggie came on board. If I recall right, he was the head of what, what ended up being the Wii. So, I mean, he kind of kept that. I thought for a while there, if it weren't for the the the, uh, the the Game Boy, the Advance, and the DS, and all that, that they would have actually just became like a software developer, like Sega did. And I felt like he kept, he he was a big part of keeping the help the home console part of Nintendo alive. If I'm wrong, Kyle's going to crucify me for this, but that's that's just the impression that I got. So I don't know what this is. I just it just seemed like it was out of nowhere. So I hope that isn't ba- a bad omen for them because I feel like they've really got a winning streak going with the Switch. No, uh, Reggie Fizame, uh I, I don't think you're you're underselling his credit. Uh, you know, bef- the GameCube was struggling. Nintendo was kind of circling the drain. And Nintendo had caught the image of Nintendo was that it was childlike, it was kidlike, mm. um, that it wasn't it wasn't as cool as the edgy PlayStation Two and the Xbox. And you know, it was there's no Master Chief. You know, you just had to like plumb around with Mario. Uh, and I and I still remember that that first E3 conference. Uh, I want to say it was the 2004 one, where he comes out on the stage, and the first thing this man says, no one had ever seen this man, like as far as the gaming public goes. And he, I think it's something to the effect of, "My name is Reggie. We're about kicking ass, taking names, and we're about making games." And like he, like in that moment, became a superstar because he he was so aggressive about it. And that's what Nintendo needed. They needed someone who was aggressive, who was passionate about video games, and. Uh, he, you know, they started calling him like Reginator and stuff like that. And like, he really embraced it. And I think he is a big reason why Nintendo is successful. He was that public face of like, no, we're innovative. We love video games. We make the best fucking video games that we can. If you want to play them, buy a Nintendo Wii, buy, or I still wish they had gone with the revolution. That was still the best name. I hate that they changed it. You didn't like the Dolphin? Uh, the GameCube was called Project Dolphin. I've said uh, the, the three big studio heads. I can't think of the guy that's for Sony Computer Entertainment of America. I can't think of his name. But I've said of the three guys, that guy, Phil Spencer for Microsoft, and Reggie. I've said the guy from Sony is the kind of businessman that you just everybody hates. Phil Spencer's the kind of guy that you want to get a bear with, and Reggie was the kind of guy you want to work for. So, I mean, at least that's the impression that I got of them off of just watching them E3, watching their conferences and stuff like that. So, uh, this sucks. And apparently Bowser is running Nintendo now. I mean, as far as far as the retirement goes, like he's been running Nintendo for fifteen Nintendo of America, I should say, for for fifteen years, uh, which is a, a nice long run. Uh, he's late fifties, I think, uh, might be fifty eight, six, fifty eight, fifty nine when he retires. Um, so, like, it's not like you know, if the guy says like, "Hey, I want to slow down," 
my kids are getting a little bit older. Or I just kind of want to enjoy life late. More power to him. Like he's definitely put in his time. And, uh, you know, if you can retire at 58, all of like great. Like you alluded to, the fact that his replacement, who has been serving at his right hand for a few years now, the fact that his name is Doug Bowden, you could not. <laughs> I feel like that's not an accident. He was like, we need some kind of theme <laughs> for this next hire. Like the fact that you, your last name is Bowser, like, and you, you go and you work at Nintendo, uh, there's already images of, uh, of him around. And like, I think the my favorite is like, it's him in his office with like a little thing that says, thank you. And on the back, uh, he has a, a Mario and Luigi doll. And they're clearly tied up by remote yeah. control, like they're kidnapped. And I just like, he embraces it. He goes with it. We'll probably see some fun Bowser themed stuff at, at uh, their next, uh, I don't even know that they do E3 anymore, but like whatever their next big presentation is, we'll see some some nice Bowser theme, and we might get a nice Bowser uh, version of Mario Brothers, which would be the coolest thing. But uh, I think they're in good hands, and I love that you can now make the jokes that Bowser runs the the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> you know, you first hear, oh, someone like Reggie just out of nowhere, he's retiring. You think, oh God, what's wrong? You know, it is something something wrong. But I think, like you said. I'm pushing 60. I've got more money than I know what to do with. I'm just going to go enjoy life now, man. And hey, that's that's the dream right there. So uh, good for him. But, you know, he'll, he'll be missed. So let's 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 see what happens. So I'm just glad that you actually knew who I was talking about. Because oh, a couple God, of people yeah. are about like, what are you talking about? It's like, I guess you guys don't follow the gaming shows and stuff like I do. You, you have to remember, like, bef- like, I never subscribed to the Sony, the Sony uh, Microsoft thing, because I have always been loyal to Nintendo um, well, they shouldn't have sucked for a decade. <laughs> it was really nice that what 2004, I would have been, yeah, I would have been just about leaving high school, about to go, uh, go into college, and me still standing Nintendo and seeing this, and Reggie's a, a tall, like cuts a figure, and seeing him talk about kicking ass and like making games, I was like, yeah, like yeah, no, I can like Nintendo. This is cool. Like, thanks, Reggie. So like, I'm all for it. Well, I'm. My kid plays a Switch almost every day, so Nintendo's not going anywhere anytime soon. And uh, interested to see the leadership under Bowser. Bowser. It's, it's, <laughs> the only thing that could be more on the nose is if they, some guy's name was Mario. That's the only thing that could have been more on I, the nose. I, I think he's probably glad that his parents didn't have a cruel sense of humor and named him Mario Bowser because that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I mean, I think that's uh, all today, um, guys. It's obviously it was a longer show because, like I said, we didn't really preview uh, the Oscars before. So hope you hope you stuck with us, and, and again, hope you can find us on Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, it's a partnership we're really excited for. So uh, hopefully we can engage with a whole bunch of you uh, that we never really spoke to before. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter. I'm at, at GMC Podcast. Danny is at DC underscore six one two. That's because he's a big DC fanboy. It's that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> it has nothing to do with his initials. That's just a pure coincidence. Mm-hmm. But coincidence. Uh, yeah, uh, subscribe to the show. We'd love to to talk and interact with you guys. And uh, we are looking forward to uh, what comes next and what does come next. I think Captain Marvel comes next, right? Captain Marvel's just around the corner. Everyone should go out and watch Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Uh, it came out digital release today. In a few weeks, you can own it on Blu-ray or DVD. Uh, and two months from today, Endgame. Is it really two months yeah. from today? Two months from today, and I think Shazam is like six weeks today. Which, oh, by the way, I don't think we're getting a trailer number two for Shazam, which is ballsy as hell. Business is about to pick up then. Yeah, so it's like we we've been kind of it's been kind of the doldrums here for for a little bit, which it usually is between January to March. 
you know, up until spring break. And that's when things start to pick up. So uh, I'm excited for it. And uh, I know you're going to be excited for sweeps time for all your 800 CW shows. And uh, I'm going to try to catch up on uh, Umbrella Academy so I can actually like talk about it. You just, like, I don't want to know. You just reminded me this year we still get Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's the best year ever. Watch Supernatural. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We will talk at you soon. Okay, geeks, thanks for listening to the show. Now, if you didn't get enough geek material to help you through the week, you can always hop on the TARDIS here and check out the archives on the homepage, Facebook, YouTube, or iTunes. Also, take a moment, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a star rating if you get a second, as it helps others to find the show. To find us, just simply open iTunes and search for Geek Media Corp. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter. The home account is at GMC Podcast. Mike is at Zep1978, and Danny is at DC underscore 612. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk at you next week.